So good to see all of you here this morning. Welcome in Jesus' name to Pebble Creek. So glad you're here. We have first-time guests with us today. Always glad for that. And uh, returning friends, thank you so much. It's good to see all of you here today. Welcome to those out in the parking lot. Welcome to those who are listening uh, online. And uh, one person that listens online regularly is here today. We're grateful for that. And uh, so thank you. Are you awake? Do you think it's 9.30 or 9, whatever? Yeah, I wonder how many uh, would admit that they woke up an hour late. But anyway, I did it, and I'm sleepy. So I hope I can make it through the sermon without falling asleep in my own sermon. I'm just teasing. I, I think I'll be fine. But I want to begin today with a question. What motivates you? What is truly worthy in life to motivate you? Is it a worthy motivator? Now, people in authority use a lot of different things to motivate. Uh, we, uh, pastors, teachers, parents, anybody in authority uses an amazing array of techniques to motivate people, most of which are limited in value. Uh, we will use coercion, we'll use duty, we'll use guilt, we'll use begging, we'll use fear, uh, parents and people in authority use all kinds of things to get people to do what they think they should do. But what motivates you? What internally drives you? I appreciate so much BJ's testimony earlier. I do. He's like a son to me, and I love him. If I'd had a son, I wish it had been someone like BJ, in all honesty. But he told you some things that motivated him early on. And what motivates him now. I love the humorous story that Uncle Charlie died and bequeathed his prize Amazonian parrot to his nephew Bill. So Bill took possession of this prized Amazonian parrot and it could speak. The problem with the parrot was, however, every other word it used was an expletive. And worse than the language was the attitude. He had a terrible attitude. It was a gripey parrot. Now, my sweet daughter Allison told me the true story of a friend of hers who had to take care of a parrot recently. And all the parrot would say is, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so my daughter decided what the parrot would say if I were taking care of the parrot. It wasn't quite so spiritual. It was not an expletive. But it was other silly things that Frank Page may have been known to say over the years. But anyway, this prize Amazonian parrot that Uncle Charlie had had, and he died, and he left it to Bill, the thing just drove Bill crazy because it was just a nasty attitude and nasty mouth parrot. So he tried everything he could. He tried to speak kindly to the parrot in front of the parrot so the parrot would mimic his kind, gentle words. He played soft, kind music around the parrot so the parrot would learn to calm down its attitude. But the bird just seemed to get worse and worse and worse. He didn't know what to do. I mean, he got so mad one time, he just shook the parrot, made it even madder, made it even worse. He was having some guests over one time, and the parrot just was letting loose with some terrible things. 
So he, in exasperation, grabbed the bird and shoved it into the freezer and slammed the freezer door. He said that freezer was shaking, the bird was screaming and squawking and cussing, and finally, total silence. And Bill thought, oh no, I have done killed Uncle Charlie's prize Amazonian parrot. So he thought, oh no. So he opened up the freezer and the bird walked out onto Bill's arm. And the bird looked at Charlie, uh, uh, Bill and said, I am truly sorry that I have offended you with my language and my behavior. And I humbly ask you for forgiveness. I will now from this day forth endeavor to correct my behavior in my terrible language so that such an ill-perceived outburst shall never occur again. Bill's just taken aback. He didn't know what in the world's happened. But the bird continued talking and said, May I ask you one thing? What did the chicken in there do? So, watch your attitude around me if we're around a freezer. I'll poke in that thing. What motivates you? Now, that motivated that bird to change its wicked ways. What motivates you? What do you find truly worthy in life? And is it something that's important enough to alter your behavior? Now, many things we hear from the outside guilt and fear and coercion may alter our behaviors for a time, but we know, don't we, that if there's going to be a true alteration of behavior and language, it's going to come from the inside, not from external pressures and forces. Now, if I were to ask you today, what is your greatest attainment? It connects with what I'm saying, believe me. I wonder what you would say. Some of you might say, well... I would have to point to my educational degrees. Uh, some of you might point to a security that you have in the bank account. Some of you might point to a home that you're proud of. Some of you might utilize a relationship and point to a friend that you hold dear. That's good. Some of you might point to a husband. <laughs> Some of you might not. Some of you might point to a wife. Maybe not. Some of you might point to a child as my greatest attainment. Or, if you're really smart, to a grandchild. My mama used to say, if I'd have known they were going to be so wonderful, I would have had them first. And then the later the years went on and she changed it, say, well, you know, if I'd have known how wonderful they are, I'd just skip the children. Well, my mama meant every word of that. You can point to a child or a grandchild or to a job or to a rank in the military or to a, an, a bank account. You can point to all those things as being your greatest attainment. But in our text for today, Paul teaches us that's not going to cut it. None of those things that I've just mentioned, relationally, educationally, nor financially, will cut it. What should be our greatest motivator? What should we really find worthy in life? What should be that driving motivation and inward 
focus that really counts so that we know the difference between rubbish and riches, so that we know the difference between trash and treasure. Look with me to Philippians chapter 3 as we begin chapter 1, as we begin to see this much greater attainment that Paul the Apostle shares with us today under God's leadership. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 3, verse 1. What does Paul begin the verse with? Finally. Now I've told you before, what do most preachers mean when you say fine when they say finally? Not a thing. In fact, one little kid said, he was visiting church, said, Well, the preacher just said finally. Does that mean he's about to wrap it up? Said, Don't believe a word of that. Well, when Paul used the word finally, he means he's switching to a very practical section. Uh, he's, he's changing from a didactic teaching moment to a pragmatic, practical, personal word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, we've heard that before in the book of Philippians, haven't we? That's why we call it the book of joy. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. And here he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Verse 2, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Jesus Christ. And do not put confidence in the flesh. Now look at verse 4. Although I once had confidence in the flesh alone. And if anyone thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul is saying, you got a big story? I can top it. I can top it. And he does. So look, he says, although I once had confidence in the flesh, anyone, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So he gives us a pedigree and says, nobody can top this one. Now look at verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be rubbish. I consider it to be refuse. I consider it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I've suffered the loss of all things. Consider them rubbish, filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, One that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. Based on faith. My goal is to know Him. And the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul begins... 
this beautiful text by showing us that there are barriers to true worship and true relationship. Part of the barriers to true worship and true relationship are listening to false teachers. And he again says, beware of those who teach that which is contrary to the gospel. He's making reference to what we've talked about in Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings to those called Judaizers who would create a confusion among the church. And he points out the warning to watch out. We too have to watch out in the 21st century because we have a, an amazing array of people in our churches today who will believe just about anything from anybody. And that's why whether you go to this church or another church or find yourself visiting another church, only go to a church that's based on the precious inerrant word of God and where the preacher actually preaches from the inerrant, precious, perfect word of God. If he's just always giving you his opinion, then you need to go somewhere else where they teach and preach the inerrant, infallible word of God. Do you hear me? Because listen to me, everybody got an opinion, and it doesn't really matter. So he gives us warning, and we need to hear that same warning. Now in the latter part of the passage, that we're going to focus upon primarily, he supplies a pattern of relationship and worship that is so powerful and so beautiful. And he says the greatest thing you can ever reach is not the house or the security or the relationships, even grandchildren. Greatest thing is a relationship with Christ that leads you to a personal worship of the Savior. Hear me, hear me well. There are three things quickly. First of all, there are some things we need to let go of. There are, there are things that need to be renounced as loss in true relationship, true worship. Look at verses 3 through 7, please. Every human reason to be proud of, Paul had it. He said, listen to me. He said, you got a story, I got a better one. He said, I've got every reason to be proud, to say everything I did as a human, no one can surpass it. Now, that sounds like he was being a braggadocio. By the way, I told Dale, I won the fifth grade spelling bee by spelling braggadocio. Couldn't do it again if my life depended on it. I just guessed in that and got it and won the thing somehow. He's maybe being a little bit pretentious, maybe a little bit of a braggadocio, but he's saying, listen, I did strive to attain a very high level of achievement and attainment. I was a part of the strictest group of Judaism called the Pharisees. Now, in 21st century America, we've come to look down on Pharisees with reason because they opposed our Lord Jesus. But in the day of Christ, they were known as the most moral, the most law-adhering people. They were very serious about trying to do what they thought was right or even righteous. They were the most patriotic, most loyal, and moral of all. He had a burning zeal for the way of Judaism. He, he even went about trying to capture and put on trial those 
who were of the way, he called it, the way of Christ, who he felt were not following the way of Judaism and went even, was on his way to Damascus to find another group of Christians to imprison and to execute. So here was a man who had a burning zeal to do what he thought was right, a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin, which was the aristocracy of Israel. He had a record in Judaism that no one could surpass. Paul might have claimed all of that on the credit side. And like many people today, okay, God, when I get to those pearly gates and I see that big balance scale, look at all those things I did. Those ought to tip me over into heaven. Paul said, when I came to know Christ, all of that was like rubbish. All of that was like refuse. All of that was worthless when I came to know Christ. Quite useless, in fact. So the proud achievements of Saul were but refuse when he came to know Christ. One by one, he cast them aside and said they're worthless. Really superfluous. I don't need them anymore. Physical inheritance, being a part of the tribe of Benjamin, doesn't matter. Misdirected zeal, he says, persecuting the church. No, that doesn't count to my favor anymore. My own righteousness in the law, blameless, he said. That doesn't count for anything anymore. Personal attainment, I was a Pharisee. You remember the parable of the publican? And the Pharisee, and the Pharisee made his big prayers, Oh God, look at me. And the publican, the tax collector, what did he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul is saying, I just have to come before the Lord and say, God, help me. Despite what all I thought was so good, I'm a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, I see that we need to say the same. You see, we must come to the point where we renounce those things that we too have held too dear and let God become second place. We must come to that point where we renounce that which maybe we've held a little bit too close to us. But in all honesty, may we be stripped of pride and may we be like that poor tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are things you need to renounce to let go of. Second, there are things to be pursued as goals in true worship. There are things to be pursued as goals. Look, look at verses 8 and 9. And now we're getting to some of the greatest scripture passages in all the Bible. And I'm telling you, they're my favorite. What ought to be the goal? Well, Paul tells us there. Look at verse 8 and 9. More than that. He said, I've considered all the rest of that a loss. Verse 7. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of what? Of knowing Christ. To know Christ. That's part of what this greatest attainment could be, this great motivator, this great worthy object of our attention and our affection, and that is to know Christ. You see, to know Christ means to have a personal relationship through faith. To have a personal relationship through faith. 
close intimacy Paul is saying with him. I want to know him. Now it's possible to know a lot of things about Christ. And let me tell you, you live in Greenville County, South Carolina. You come in contact with a lot of people who know something about Christ. Now I'm going to tell you, there are boys and girls that are in the sight of this church house that have probably never heard much more than his name. They don't know who he was. They don't know why he came. I'll never forget when I was at Taylor's. Had a little girl came forward to join the church one morning, maybe nine years old, who had been led to Christ in a good news club in a public school. She told me, she said, Pastor, nobody ever told me Jesus died for me. Nobody ever told me that he could forgive me of my sins. Nobody ever told me until the good news club told me about Christ. God bless you, honey. I'm thankful somebody told you. You see, you know a lot about Christ, but still not know Christ. And Paul says, I give up everything so that I might know Him. This deep, close intimacy from which, from which springs an absolute, ever-growing acquaintance to know the Lord. Salvation for him was knowing Christ. But what does he say in that verse? surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord because of him I've suffered the loss of all things consider them filth so that I might gain Christ and be found in him so the second part was this true righteousness he talks about it look at verse 9 and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law but one that is through faith in Christ so what does he say is this great object of attainment that we ought to pursue to know Christ and to be righteous in Him. To know Christ and to be righteous in Him. So Paul is talking about this righteousness that he seeks. Now listen to me. The righteousness of Paul that he enumerated and outlined is pretty impressive. It all died on the road to Damascus. Paul's righteousness died on the road to Damascus and he became aware that through Christ he could know Christ and have a new righteousness that did not belong to him. Listen to me. I don't know how good you are or how good you think you are. You are not good enough. You hear me? I don't care how good you have been, what the things you have attained... None of it is good enough to get you into heaven. Not one bit. Only the righteousness that comes by faith relationship with Christ. Paul says, I want to know Him, and I want to have a righteousness, verse 9, not of my own, but faith through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now listen to me. This goal ought to be our obsession. It ought to be our true life's goal and attainment. But our goals are often quite different. We're seeking other things. BJ, you talked about some of the things you sought as a young man. And many people are still looking in the wrong places for the wrong thing. I heard historically during the Russian Revolution, which shook that country and millions died between what was called the White Russians and the Red Russians. Just had to do with their political identities. Who knows the date of the Russian Revolution? It was during our World War I, 1917. 
1918. But while the streets of Moscow were bleeding, as there was revolution throughout the streets, the clergymen of the Russian Orthodox Church had gathered for an important conclave to discuss the placement and number of buttons on their clerical vests. The whole nation is, die, is dying outside, bleeding, a bloody, slow death. And they're inside arguing over the placement and numbers of buttons on their clerical robes. You laugh, I do too. But how many churches within the sight of this place have agonized in arguments over the color of the carpet and over the color of the church house and over this and over that? Really? 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 What do we ought to be? Our goal ought to be very different than that which we often see. There are things that ought to be pursued as goals in order to truly have a relationship. And Paul tells us it is knowing him and having a righteousness from him. Third and last, there are things to be possessed. It even gets better. Things to be possessed. My goal, Paul says, verse 10, is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So Paul really says these are the things I want to possess. Paul zealously filled the void that had been there in his life after he realized his own attainments were worthless. And he says, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And so he had a longing to possess the power of Christ's resurrection. He had this deep longing to know it, verse 10. So Paul saw Christ's resurrection as a great victory. And he coveted that kind of power. But that kind of power was available to only if he was willing to, to share in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. We too must long to possess that same power. And I simply ask you this morning, on this sleepy Sunday morning, do you have that as the goal of your life? That I just want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. Let me tell you, there are people in here right now that need the power of His resurrection. I had a young couple come to me years ago in another church. Wanted to tell me they were getting a divorce. They came down and told me, we're getting a divorce, Pastor. Just want to tell you. I said, why are you wasting my time? What? You're supposed to be kind and nice. I said, I am not in the funeral business. I'm in the resurrection business. Don't be coming here wasting my time telling me you want to get a divorce. I don't want to hear it. Now, if you want to talk about a resurrection or marriage, we can talk about that. Praise God we did. But I said, I'm not in the funeral business. I'm in the resurrection business. And there are some of you right now that need to be in the resurrection business personally. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I just want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection in my life. I need it right now. I need it desperately. I need you because look what I've done. Paul could say this. I can't even say that. But it's all rubbish versus the riches of knowing you, the power of your resurrection. And yes, I'm willing to be a part of the fellowship of your suffering. 
Meaning I'm willing to go through whatever life takes me so that I can be a part of your a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. So I ask you this morning, do you really want to possess the power of Christ? Is that what really matters to you? Is that the great motivator of your life? Look at, I think it'll be on the board, to truly worship, to truly have a relationship. Let's look at these three things again. We must count as a loss. I don't know if they're, are they up there? Yep. There are things to be renounced. And then number two, we must pursue the goal of true righteousness. And then number three, we must possess the power of Christ. Possess the power of Christ. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Do you know the power of His resurrection? And do you know the fellowship of His sufferings? Pray with me, please. Jesus, we come to you just like Paul did on that road to Damascus, counting as loss everything we once held dear, recognizing that it's only in you we can find true power, true motivation that changes us from the inside. Father God, we come to you now. and We ask that you would deal with us right where we are. Lord, the song we're going to sing is I need thee every hour. And God, we need you every second. Every second. And we come to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's